Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, back in the book of Acts this morning. Does anyone need a Bible? We're going to be covering a whopping five verses today. But there are some amazing truths in these, and I, I certainly want you to see them. Does anyone else need a Bible? Well, we have. This is, this is kind of how it went down. I had two weeks to kind of think about this message and meditate about this message. And, and what happened was it started as all chapter 13. And then it went to just 1 through 12. And then it ended at 1 through 5. Because the more time I just kept sitting and sitting in it. And the Lord just kept showing me different things that just kept coming out. But I'll just warn you. Here's kind of my disclaimer. I love messages that kind of feel like they're this single thread kind of coming there. And I like to think about it as, as, as preparing a meal. You know, you're setting the table and then here comes the main course, right? But that's not this kind of message. It's like a smorgasbord. Has any of you ever heard that, that term smorgasbord, right? You, you're just going to pick and take what you have because there's just go, a whole bunch of food that's going to be on the table, spiritual food to eat. But that's kind of my disclaimer here. But there's some awesome truth. There's some good stuff. And I know God has a word for you. I know God has certainly spoke to my heart. And I know he's got something for you here. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we're God, we're, we're just amazed. We're amazed by you, Jesus. We're amazed that, that you love your church. We're amazed that you call us your bride. We're amazed that you adorn us. God, we're amazed that you clothe us in white. We're amazed that you have invited us to a wedding to be joined to you for all of eternity. God, there's so many things that you speak in such endearing terms to what is your church and this local representation gathered here in this place. So God, we just pray that you speak to us now. God, show us your truth in your word. Speak that exhortation, that word of encouragement, that word of correction, that word of inspiration, whatever it may be. Holy Spirit, speak to your church. We're listening. And God, I pray you anoint my lips. Come, Holy Spirit. You be the teacher. You illuminate Jesus in the text. You speak to us in the secret place of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in Acts, after a few weeks off, so we want to do a little kind of catch up and make sure that we have the pace to get going. But we have to, we have to really appreciate the Lord's timing here. God's timing is always perfect. And I love that because one week after talking about missions and talking about a mission Sunday, having a visiting missionary share with us, one week after a, a mission team, our first mission team going to Mexico from this church came back, we're going back in Acts chapter 13 and we're seeing where foreign missions began. Right? It's beautiful. In Acts chapter 13, we're seeing where this mission to the end of the earth first gets launched. We're seeing the first time a mission trip gets planned and prepared and prayed over and missionaries get the, gets hands laid on them by the church and sent out. Isn't that beautiful? Right? Acts 13. Now, yes, we've seen the church already on mission. We've seen the church fulfilling the great commission to be witnesses for Jesus wherever they've gone. And we have seen the church be scattered, right? Through persecution, we've seen Christians like Philip scattered into the areas of Samaria, scattered into different areas around Jerusalem. We've seen that happen, but that was forced out. We're not going to see the missionaries this morning forced out. They're going to be called out, called out by God, sent out by the church. And so it's different, but it's beautiful. And we want to try and wrap our minds around this. That's what makes this so unique in this, this transitional period of the book of Acts, this, this unique juncture here as we start to see a transition made. We're not going to talk so much about Peter anymore, the apostle that has really been the church planter there in Jerusalem and one of those, those cornerstones there. 
there, well, not the cornerstone, but a foundational stone, Jesus being the cornerstone, but Peter being very significant in the early church. We're going to see a transition to Paul, who's a very much an apostle, a missionary to the Gentiles. And that's kind of the second half of the book of Acts. But just catching up just ever so quickly, I just want us to kind of take a look at this map and strain our eyes as best as we can to kind of see where we've been. Down here in this lower right-hand corner, here's Jerusalem. Here's where the church gets birthed on the day of Pentecost. Here's where Jesus tells his disciples, go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. That's Acts chapter 1. And then the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 and the church is birthed. And they're going to spread out into the greater region of Judea. They're going to go to Samaria. We're going to have Ethiopian unit go down to Ethiopia. But they're eventually going to end up here in Syrian Antioch. And that's where we're at. We see the church get planted in Syrian Antioch in Acts chapter 11. And that's where we start seeing some people from Cyprus and Cyrene. Some disciples start to share the gospel with the people in Antioch. We talked about that Gentile city. We talked about how significant and how many similarities there are between the city of Antioch and the culture and the people and the strongholds to that which, which we live in, the cities surrounding us and, and all that, that God is able to do here, all that he has done there and, and the great encouragement that, that that was. But that's where we're at. In Acts chapter 13, we're, we're going to be talking about the church in Antioch. Antioch, but it's going to be the gateway into the end of the earth. This is going to be a missionary church, a church that's going to send out multiple different missionary journeys. When you look at the back of of your Bible and you see those first missionary journey of Paul, second missionary journey of Paul, they leave from Antioch, right where we're at here, and they begin in Acts chapter 13. But that's that's significant, and we want to pull some things out about that. But what we what we really want to do is we want to say why, or, or how, or, or who called them out. Who's behind all this? Whose idea is it for mission? What happened to spurn and send these missionaries out? That's what we want to see in the text. And then we want to say, how did it happen? If we're looking at ourselves saying, well, am I called? What does it look like to be called? If I'm sent, what does it look like to be sent? What should I be listening for? Those are questions that we want to be swirling around in our, in our heads and in our hearts because that's what God is going to show us through the text here in Acts chapter 13. So let's just pick this up and let the text speak for itself right now. Verse, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now... In the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, those are three verses, and and we can easily kind of read those verses and go, okay, cool, what happens next? And I tried to do that. I tried. And the Lord says, no, 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 there's a lot of great information in these three verses that I want to reveal to you, and I want you to tell the church about it, my church about it. So that's why we're kind of camping out. We're going to spend a fair amount of time in these three verses. But what we just read, these three verses show us two very important things. Number one, they're going to show us how the mission to the end of the earth gets launched. They show us whose idea it was. They show us who goes and why they go. 
And number two, we're going to spend a lot of time on this one as well. They show us how we can posture ourselves in order to hear a similar call from the heart of God. And I just want us to think about that. Do we want to posture ourselves in such a way to hear from the Lord? I I hope that the answer in your heart, in every single one of your hearts, is yes. I hope that you all say, I want to hear from the Lord. I want God to speak to my heart. I long to hear from the voice of the Lord. I long for God to bring illumination to His Word. I long for God to speak through His still small voice, through His Holy Spirit to my heart. I long for it. It changes everything. When I'm going through a difficult time and circumstances are challenging and God speaks, it just changes everything. When I'm, when I'm needing to hear direction or I'm needing vision from the Lord and He speaks, it's like a lightning bolt of energy injected into my very soul and it changes everything. And I want that for you. God wants that for you. God wants to speak to his children like a good father gives instruction to his children. God wants to speak. And so we want to posture ourselves in such a way to hear what God wants to say to us. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But we're not going to talk about it yet. I just was hoping that got your attention and wanted you to pay attention to this next part. Because I do want to talk for a minute about these five leaders that have just been identified by name here in Antioch. We're going to see a little bit of a church model shown for us. These five different leaders that are brought here in this place. And I I love this church in Antioch. I love their leadership model. I love what God is doing there. And I can see so many similarities between what God is doing here, as I've already mentioned. But I love seeing what God is doing. And I want you to pay attention to the diversity of these men that comprise the leadership in the church in Antioch. So we're given there five names. First, listed first, we have Barnabas. Now Barnabas, we remember, that wasn't his name initially. It was, it was Joseph. It was Joses in, in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. They called him Barnabas. The apostles gave him a nickname because he's such an encourager. He's definitely a teacher, but he's an encourager. He's someone who brings a word of exhortation. So Barnabas, he's listed first. Now think about the diversity. Barnabas, we know, is from Cyprus. He was a Levite from Cyprus. He had property in Cyprus. He comes here probably on the day of Pentecost, making the pilgrimage journey to Jerusalem. Here's the gospel gets saved, as far as we know, never goes back. Sells everything in Cyprus to, to, to follow Jesus, forsaking all to follow Jesus, becomes a part of the early church. But we know this guy's so all in, he's going to leave, he's going to leave Cyprus, go to Jerusalem. He's now left Jerusalem to go to Antioch to be the pastor of this church. Remember, after it got planted, the church in Jerusalem finds out and say, no, we need to send Barnabas to teach them the word of God, to teach them and bring order and structure to this church. So there's Barnabas. And he's done that. And, and we see God doing a great work in his life. He's, he, I think he fits under the, the teacher side of things. We see that there's prophets and teachers in this church. Prophets are those who speak under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit, a word from the Lord for the church, either something that is, is for the moment for the now, something that God has already spoken, something already written and recorded, or something that's going to be future, like we saw with Agabus. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Agabus, who was also called a prophet. He comes to the church in Antioch, and he says, hey, I've heard from the Lord, there's going to be a famine. 
And it comes to pass, right? Very indicative of a prophet hearing from the Lord. If they say, doth saith the Lord, doth doeth the Lord, because God is never wrong. And it does come to pass, and he is a prophet. So we, we see that, but there's also teachers who are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to teach the word, to teach people what God has said, what his word says, what is the foundation upon which we stand, so we can let our roots go down deep in him, and we can grow up into being the spiritual house that he's created for us to be. So prophets and teachers are in this church, and they're, they're two of the equipping gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I put, I put Ephesians 4 in your study guide to kind of see what is going on there, but Barnabas fits, I think, that teacher role in this capacity. But next, we have a man named Simeon, who was also called Niger. And I like this name, Simeon. It's a strong Jewish name. One of the 12 tribes of Israel, Simeon. So perhaps a Jewish man named after one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Though that's not always indicative. I do know a guy who has no Jewish blood in his, in his veins to, to know of. And he named his son Asher, who, you know, isn't necessarily Jewish. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he is, but possibly Simeon is coming from a, a Jewish descent here, but notice that he's called Niger. He's called Niger. Maybe another nickname, or maybe someone that is is being indicative of something about this man. Niger literally means dark complexion. Maybe it's talking about his physical appearance. Now, we don't know where he's from. Some like to say, well, maybe he's from, maybe he's from northern Africa. Maybe he's from Cyrene. We, We don't know. Now, you've maybe heard there is the leap that gets made because the next guy, Lucius, is going to be said from Cyrene. Some like to say, well, Simeon was maybe from Cyrene as well. Maybe this is Simon the Cyrenian, the very man who helped Jesus carry his cross. Remember, it was Simon the Cyrenian who helped Jesus carry his cross to Golgotha when Jesus was going to pay for the sins of the world, going to be the Lamb of God. But that's a leap for me because Simeon and Simon are not the same name, right? And Luke, the gospel writer of the same name, Luke, the writer of the gospel of Luke, and Luke, the author inspired by the Holy Spirit of the book of Acts, he doesn't say they're the same person. He uses two different names, which means it's a leap, right? We don't know that it's true. I would think if Luke knew it was true, he would have used the same name. So take that for what it is. Do some of your own research there. But I think we're talking about two different people. But next we have a man named Lucius, and he is of Cyrene. And so just think about geographically. We've got, we've got Barnabas here from Cyprus. Now we have Lucius here from Cyrene. I mean, just think about some of this geographic. Now, Lucius here of Cyrene, he might have been one of the original church planters that came to Antioch. Because remember in Acts chapter 11, it said men from Cyprus and Cyrene, we weren't told their names then, they come and start sharing the gospel with the Gentiles as the hand of the Lord is with them. But just think about it. If, if Lucius is one of those original people, then he comes here and he starts sowing in an area that seems unreachable. And now he's been here for a certain amount of time and he's seen all that the Lord has done. How encouraging is that when he sees God has done a great work here? And he's still here and part of the leadership team. Next, we're going to be told of a man named Manaean. Look at what we're told about him. He's been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That means Herod Antipas. That means Manaean is going to be raised over here in Rome. 
Manaean is going to be brought up in royalty. He's going to be maybe a foster child, maybe a close family friend, but he's going to have great political connections with one of, one of the Herods who are going to rule this area. But isn't that amazing? He's got political connections. He has a, a trajectory towards, towards the kingdom of this world, and yet he's here in Antioch, serving the Lord Jesus, serving the people, serving in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But isn't that amazing, right? The last person we have noticed, lastly, we've got Saul from nearby Tarsus. But think about that. Tarsus, Rome, maybe northern Africa, Cyrene, Cyprus. Think of all that. Like that, That's beautiful to see a geographic map, and you've got all these people from all these different areas, yet called to one place to glorify the Lord. Don't you think for us here, even for us in this room, we could put up a map like this, you know, maybe more centrally located North America, maybe those some areas, but there's people from all over the place. And I love that. All these different geographic dots, all these different people, but called to this one place to sit at the feet of the Lord, to be on mission, to follow after him, to give our lives for his glory. That's beautiful. And so I see that here. I see what's kind of happening here. And I love the diversity there. But for these five leaders in this church in Antioch, they want to know, God, what is your will for your church in Antioch? I love that they don't just kind of settle and say, well, well, we're here. Like, we, have, we have what we need. We have some people. Maybe we have a building. We have a place to meet. So cool, now we just get to sit here and, and kind of do the thing. They're like, no, Lord, what, what do you want us to be about? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to continue to be about your mission? What is your plan for your church? That's what they're asking. And then they're posturing themselves in such a way to hear what God wants to tell them. So as we hear that, let's take a look at this. We want to hear from the Lord. So do these five men. So in order to tune their ears in, look at what we're told in verse 2. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. But notice that as they're ministering, serving, worshiping the Lord, that word ministering, it's, it's kind of a difficult word to define to get the specifics of what they were doing. They were worshiping, they were serving people, they're, they're doing all things as unto the Lord, but what we're doing specifically, we don't know. But what we do know this, they were in motion. They were engaged at what is happening as they're ministering to the Lord, serving, moving, being faithful in what God has given them to do. That's when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And I just want to point that out because we hear it sometimes, and I think in the wrong context, I don't necessarily agree with it, but we say an anchored ship can't be steered anyway, right? God can't steer a, a, an anchored ship. We say we, we've got to be in motion so God can direct us. And again, in context, I think that's okay. But I think sometimes we can make a mess of our own lives thinking, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. And I didn't seek the Lord and I took a few wrong turns and now I'm in a ditch. Right? But in the context here, they're, they're being faithful with what's in front of them. And in the context of thinking, wanting to hearing, hearing from the Lord, I think it's a simple truth that's important for us. I think sometimes when, when we struggle, when we don't know the, the direction for clear trajectory for our lives, and we don't know exactly what God is doing, and we're kind of wondering, God, what do you, where do you want me to go? I think the tendency sometimes is to just disengage and wait, and sit idle and think, well, maybe God's going to speak to me. And then maybe we're not being faithful in the very things God put in front of us. And that's not what we're seeing here. We're seeing they're ministering to the Lord. They're being faithful with the tasks that God has already given them. And I just want to to encourage you in that. Sometimes all I know is what I shouldn't do. 
right? I don't know where I should go. I don't know what I am supposed to do, but I know what I shouldn't do, and I know I shouldn't be unfaithful. I know I shouldn't sin. I know I shouldn't start to distance myself from the Lord. And sometimes as I just stay faithful in the simple little tasks of what God has placed right before me, that's when God starts to show me what he has next for me. And that's what we're seeing here. They're, they're seeking the Lord. They're, they're serving. They're, they're reading their Bibles. They're worshiping. They're ministering to the people. But then notice this. They add fasting. We're thinking, oh, they did what? They added fasting. We're going to talk about fasting this morning because it's an important way to posture your heart to hear from the Lord. And so they're fasting, and it means they're setting aside food, the pleasures and the comfort of food for a time. You'll hear sometimes, oh, I fasted from social media. That's wonderful. You abstain, that's good. But fasting has to do with food. All right, it's food. That's, that's simply what it means. Fasting is related to food. You, maybe you should abstain from some of those things. I'm not saying it one way or the other. But when it comes to fasting, the spiritual discipline of fasting, it has to do with food. So they're fasting, they're serving, and they're fasting. And some are saying, oh, I hope they weren't serving in children's ministry because you probably shouldn't be. Why, right? Why? Right, I'm thinking, of course you can, right? Because that means you're most dependent upon the Lord, right? To really fast, we, we opened up our study talking about not living on bread alone, but the bread of life, Jesus being the bread of life. When we fast, ultimately that's what we're doing. We say, God, I need you. For every step of the way, I need you. With the hunger pains, with the lightheadedness, I need you. Now I'm going to give some disclaimers that applies to some of you when it comes to fasting, abstaining from food for a time, a meal, a day, or a couple days. Hey, some of you, you have some physical situations. Maybe you talk with a physician. I, I, don't, I don't know what that is for you, but I do know there's probably something. There's probably a pleasure food of some kind that you can fast to the Lord. Set it aside. But we'll break this down a little bit more, but notice that's what they do. When I am struggling with hearing from the Lord, when I am in, in need of, of direction, in need of hearing from the Lord, 100% of the time, God has met me when I've set some time aside to fast. When I've said, Lord, I, I really need to turn my focus to you, 100% of the time, God has met me. And I want you to know why. It's not because my fasting made God more in tune with me. It's not because my fasting, God was like, oh, I'm so impressed with you now. Thank you for fasting. Now I'll speak to you. My fasting doesn't earn God's ear. My fasting doesn't get God to speak louder. Neither does yours. My fasting doesn't make God love me anymore. Do you know that? Do you know there's nothing more we can do to get God to love us more than he already does? Right? Jesus says, no greater love has no one than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. And then Jesus, in the greatest act of love, Jesus, God in the flesh, laid his life down for us. He's saying, there's no one else who's ever going to love you more than I do. And then he lays his life down for us. But then, of course, he takes it back up to say, do you see what I'm willing to do for you? I love you. So we're not at all trying to make the idea that fasting is somehow going to make me more spiritual, more holy, more, more righteous in God's eyes, so he's going to speak to me. That's not what we're saying, but we are saying this. When we fast, it definitely removes the external noise that's keeping me from hearing from the Lord. It definitely tunes me in. And we say, why? Because the one thing that happens during, during fasting is we get to tell the flesh, no. Right? The flesh. When I speak of the flesh, I think of my will, my desires. I think of my thoughts, these ideas that pop into my head and say, wouldn't that be great? Or, or look at how delicious that is. And I get to say, you know what, flesh? No. No. Oh, but I'm hungry. I don't care. No. 
We're going to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're going to trust the Lord because we're not going to be led by the flesh. We're going to be led by the Spirit. And that's what fasting does. Some of you think, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. And I think that sometimes I'm doing pretty good. And then I fast and my flesh is like revolting. And I go, no, I, I need the flesh to die. I need to crucify the flesh daily, picking up my cross daily to follow Jesus. And again, in the context of needing to hear from the Lord, wanting to know God, what do you want us to do? In that context, twice fasting is mentioned in the three verses that we just read. That is not a coincidence because it's posturing yourself in such a way to hear from the Lord. When we fast, we're simply deciding, I'm going to tell who the winner over my, my will, my desires is. And it's not the flesh, it's the Spirit. I'm going to be led by the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so I just want to ask you, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you said, no, I'm, I'm not going to satisfy the simple desires of the flesh today. I'm going to fast. I'm going to be someone who's spirit-led. And again, this is just as much for me as it is for you. When was the last time you did that? Some of us, we have been letting the flesh get away with way too much. We've been letting the flesh call all the shots. And that's just a simple posture. I'm not going to do that. I am going to be spiritually. That's the posture for the life of the Christian. The Christian life, the crucified life, is saying it's not I who live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me. And so again, in the context of needing to hear from the Lord or wanting to hear from the Lord, sometimes it's simply posturing yourself in such a way where God can speak, and, or at least where, while he's speaking, we can hear him even more. And I want you to notice something else. We've been talking a lot about fasting, a lot about abstaining or setting aside food for a time. And I've talked to people often, and they say things like this, well, oh, I fasted once, and it was absolutely useless. All I got was a headache and a stomach ache and really just an overall miserable day. And so, so that's all you did? You didn't eat for a day? And so, yeah, yeah, I fasted. I said, no, you didn't fast. You just didn't eat. And so what do you mean? I said, well, again, look at your Bibles, Christians. Verse 2 says, they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Look at verse 3, having fasted and prayed. Notice how fasting is never alone. If your focus is just going to be on the food you're not going to eat that day, you know what that's called? A diet, all right? The food is what you're most thinking about, but that's not why they're doing it. They're ministering to the Lord. They're serving the Lord and fasting. Because they're saying, we want our focus to be on the Lord, not food. And then they're praying and fasting. Which means, listen, they're setting aside food for a time, trading it out for more of the Lord. They're saying, I don't want my life to be governed by these things. I want my life to be governed by the one who loves me and died for me and gave himself for me. I want to be led by the Spirit. That's fasting, trading out, making more room in your life to fill yourself with more of the Lord, using some of these different things to be able to show you, reveal to you God's heart, God's will for your life. That's fasting. And that's what they're doing here. And I encourage you to do it. Jesus says, not if you fast, when you fast. So again, maybe seek a physician. Talk about what you can do for those who maybe have some, some, some physical concerns about going without food for a time, but it is an awesome thing to do. If you need to hear from the Lord today, you need to schedule a time to pray and fast, to serve and fast. If or when you find yourself in that place, and we all do, this is the way to posture yourself to hear from the Lord. I like to call it the ready position for the Christian life. 
right? Many of us, we've played sports or we've coached a sports team or we've watched sports in some capacity. In most sports, there's a position called the ready position, right? And you're literally ready for the ball to come to you. Right, I've coached many of my son's sports teams and I'm running up and down the sidelines and I'm running up and down the court and I'm saying, get ready, be ready. The ball could be coming to you and the kid's sitting there just like, do, 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 do. I'm like, no, you gotta be ready. Why? And Because they don't. We, we have the same capacity. I think sometimes that's Jesus. Jesus is in our life saying, be ready, be ready. I wanna speak to you. I've got something to say to you and we're sitting there all do, do, do. Our heads are in the clouds. We're totally distracted by different things and he's speaking and he's got a word and he, re- he wants to remind us about something that maybe we forgot, maybe something we once knew, maybe a truth that is exactly the word we need to hear in the moment and the Spirit says, be ready. Will you posture yourself? Will you put yourself in such a way to receive the word that God wants to share with you? He wants to tell you how much he loves you. He wants to tell you about the sin that you're struggling with today. It's been dealt with. That he went to a cross and died for that sin, for all of your sin. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. He loves you. And he sent his Holy Spirit to give you the strength and supply in him to overcome that sin. He wants to give you that word. He wants to tell you that that he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ever ask or imagine. He wants to say, seek until you find. And once you find, grab a hold of and never let go. He's got a word for us. He's always speaking. But sometimes we allow the external things to just be louder in our lives. And when we really need to hear from him, when we want to posture ourselves in the ready position, fasting can remove some of those external things, putting ourselves in the very posture that we need to hear from the Lord. And so I ask you again, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you heard from the Lord and you started journaling something or you circled your Bible or you're talking to your friend, man, the Lord spoke to me. When was the last time? If it's something you can't remember, Christian, it's been way too long. Sometimes the very rut that you find yourself in is simply a seeking and a finding of the Lord away from being over. God has a word for you, and he wants to speak a word for you, but he wants to be sought, he wants to be found. Don't keep Jesus on the sidelines of your life. Let him into the very center of your life. I share this with you not at all to discourage you, but quite the opposite, to encourage you. I'm your biggest fan, Christian, because Jesus is your biggest fan. And he's urging you on to greater things. He's trying to beckon you to to see something even more beautiful, maybe something you once knew that had been forgotten. But these five men in this church, that's the posture that they're doing. They're fasting, they're serving, they're in the ready position, and it just so happens to be that's when the Spirit of God speaks to them. And for Barnabas and Saul, they're going to hear, they're going to hear, go, I want to send you. And for the other three, they're going to hear, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, I want to send them. But notice how there's no dispute over what the Spirit of God says. They all heard the same thing. And I love that. Sometimes we're praying and we're like, well, I think the Spirit told me this. And the person says, oh, no, no, I think the Spirit told me this. And I say, one of you misheard. The Spirit of God doesn't say two different things about the same situation. So get back, pray, fast, serve, continue seeking. He'll make it clear. But right here, it's absolutely clear what it's supposed to be done here. Separate Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. 
And I want us to look at that. Barnabas and Saul, they're already, they're already ministering. They're already faithful in the task that God has called them. And so God is just simply transplanting them into a different mission field. And I love that part. Sometimes we have this idea that, oh, if, if the Lord would just call me somewhere, then I'll be a missionary. That was not Paul and Barnabas' heart here, right? They're already missionaries. They're already on mission. They're already serving the Lord. They're already being faithful. And God just simply transplants them into another area where they can continue to be who God has made them to be. Notice verse 2. It says, it says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to, to which I have called them. Notice it doesn't say the work which I'm going to call them. It's past tense. I've already called them to this work. They're already walking in what I've called them to do. They're already being faithful. We know for, for Saul that Jesus, on the day Saul gets saved, Jesus says, of Saul, he is my chosen vessel. I'm going to use him to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now it's taken over 10 years for Saul to get to this place in Acts chapter 13 where he's ready to be sent. But I want you to see this. Jesus got him there. Jesus got him there. When Jesus promises, I will finish the work I started in you, he'll get us there. He will complete it. But it's, guess what? Not going to be finished in the flesh. It's going to be finished by the Spirit, which brings us back to the need to sometimes fast and let our lives be Spirit-led, not governed by the flesh. But that's where Saul is. Saul's here. Jesus has begun a good work in it. He's going to finish it. And now he's sending him into the next task. But he's already been faithful in the things right before him. And Barnabas too, God has already called him. Barnabas has already shown himself to be faithful. So this is just a new assignment on their already existing calling. But I, I want us just to try and grasp that. I think sometimes we, we think, well, once this happens, then I'll do this. And I just want you to know that's, that's not how God works. God doesn't want to wait until you're faithful. God wants you to be faithful now. God wants you to be obedient right now. God has given you an opportunity to love that spouse right now or to love those kids right now or to be faithful in the mission field that is your workplace and neighborhood right now. You don't have to go somewhere to go to the end of the earth. The end of the earth could be your very own house or your workplace or cubicle or neighborhood. That's what it's saying. And then God may use that and just transplant it. But that's what I think is so beautiful about Barnabas and Saul here. They're not sitting here idle waiting for God to do something. They've already engaged with what God has put right in front of them. So do you know what your calling is? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know what God has equipped you? Do you know where God has used you in the past? Are you still putting yourself in circulation in that capacity or are you waiting? Is there an area in your life that you could be faithful in right now? Sometimes as we wait, that's what it said at the beginning. They're ministering to the Lord in the things that they're called to do and throwing in the occasional fasting, and that's when God is meeting them there. So take that very seriously. God is showing us an awesome picture, an awesome posture to be ready for what is going on. Ministry and mission starting right where it's at, blooming where we're planted first. Barnabas and Saul, they're just being faithful. God has raised them up and now he's sending them out and he wants to do the same thing in us. But look at this. After, after they hear, they're ministering, verse 2, they're ministering to the Lord, they're fasting. The Holy Spirit said, separate them to me. What I love, notice the leaders in this church. They've clearly heard from the Lord. 
But notice what they don't do next. They don't assume that they know exactly what the work is, right? Separate Barnabas and Saul. That's what they've heard. And so that's what they're going to do. They don't guess and just take off running. It's not then that they send them all out. They don't come up with their own ideas or strategies. Notice what they do. Then they fast and pray. Even before they lay hands on them, they're going to fast and pray. Coming back to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, we're going to be obedient. We will let these two intricate leaders in this church go to be a part of a mission somewhere else. But God, show us, how do you want us to do that? How do you want us to lay hands on them? One of the most frustrating things to do when it comes to ministry and mission is to come up with good ideas, come up with our own strategies, and just cross our fingers that God is in them. Right? That is so frustrating. That is so challenging. That is exhausting. And I'm so glad God doesn't ask us to do that. I'm so glad God doesn't put all the pressure on us and say, you better come up with a strategy to reach this lost and dying world. Their eternity depends on it. I hope you don't screw up. Can you imagine the pressure? I would buckle. There's no way I could pastor a church of any kind if that is what the Lord told me to do. But he doesn't tell us to do this. Look at what Jesus shows us, tells us in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I I love these verses. These verses do so much to my heart, I can't even describe it. You'd have to go back to Matthew chapter 9 and listen to the teaching more on this. But I love these verses. And I love the therefore that Jesus brings here. He's moved with compassion for the people. You do know Jesus is still moved with compassion for the people who are like sheep scattered without a shepherd. The, the, The Lord God who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he is still moved with the same compassion for people. He cares about them. And they're scattered. But what he, what he says is the mission field is ready. He says it's white. The harvest is truly plentiful. And I think some of us, we need to rebuke that thought, that idea in our heart that says it's not. Some of us say, well, I don't think the harvest is plentiful. What did Jesus say? He said it is. So if we say it's not, who are we arguing with, right? Jesus. Who wins that battle, right? Jesus does. So we need, to let, we need to let the Lord's word be true. He says it's plentiful. It's plentiful. He says it's white. It's ready to be harvested. It's, it's overripe. It needs to get out of the field. That's what Jesus says. But then he doesn't say, rack your brain and come up with your best strategy, disciples. You better come up with something good. He says, you know what I want you to do? Pray. I want you to pray to me. And I love what Jesus says. Not only is he says, I am the Lord of the harvest. That's beautiful. But he says, it's my harvest. It's mine. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, pray to Jesus, and and pray because it's His. It's what He wants to do. And that's what's going to happen here. That's that's what what takes place here in the church in, in Antioch. That's what's taking place here for His disciples. And I love the beauty of that. It's been well said. We can do more than just pray. But we'll never do anything more until we pray. 
will never do anything of eternal significance that's going to have a lasting impact if Jesus isn't in it. If the Spirit of God isn't with us. If God isn't the thrust behind it. If we do it because it's a great idea, if we do it because we have some humanitarian concern, we're going to maybe have some temporary impact, but we're going to flame out long before there's anything of any eternal significance. And hold on to that. We're going to see that very thing happen in the text this morning. But they're going to pray. This is the example that this church in Antioch gives us. They fast, they pray, they posture themselves to hear from the Lord. They hear from the Lord. They're going to lay hands on Barnabas and Saul, and they're going to send them out. But I want us just to see the posture here. Maybe file it away if you think, man, things are going so great for me right now. I don't necessarily need to hear from the Lord. It's a dangerous thought if you're thinking that. But I want you to think, this is how we posture ourselves in such a way to hear from the Lord, putting yourself in the ready position. Verse 4 says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. So here they're sent. The mission to the end of the earth has just begun. And it says in verse 4, They, Paul and Barnabas here, they've been sent out by the Holy Spirit with the call, with the power, with the thrust of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to them and they went. The Holy Spirit confirmed and they went. And the Holy Spirit sent them and is with them. I love that. That's such a, a, a a very important practical point of mission, having the very presence of God in it. But we see it's God's idea. He's the one who called them out. He's the one who sent them out. He's the one who's going with them. But I just want to make that point clear. A church can send people out. A church can lay hands on people and appoint them to ministry positions. A person can go because they want to. But if the Holy Spirit isn't in it, if the Word of God hasn't spoken to you to go, you are going to find yourself laboring in the flesh and getting exhausted. And again, we're going to see an example of that in the text. We want to be sent. And I, I, I think it's kind of a little bit of a, of a splitting hairs. We are a sent people. To be Christians, to be called of the Lord, is to be commissioned, to be witnesses, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be witnesses. So I'm not talking about that. Yes, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be a part of the Great Commission. I'm talking about foreign mission or, or mission in, in a local capacity. There's a sending, there's a calling, there's an equipping that is taking place, and we want the Spirit of God to be on it. We'll make a contrast. Hold on to that thought a little longer. We're going to make a contrast there between Barnabas and Saul and John Mark. But notice, Barnabas and Saul, they've been called, they've been sent by the Holy Spirit. But notice what's going to happen. They're going to go to Seleucia first. And this isn't on the map, but Antioch's here. They're going to go to a coastal city, a port city near Antioch called Seleucia. Then they're going to, they're going to end up over here on the, the, I guess the, what is it? western, eastern, eastern part of Salamis here, the eastern part of Cyprus. So they're going to start on their missionary journey. But I want you to notice, we don't have any record of them doing anything in Seleucia. We, there's nothing mentioned. We don't know what they do, if they do anything. I have a hard time thinking they don't do any ministry in Seleucia, but we don't know. We're not told. Then they're going to make their way over here to Salamis. We're going to be told they are going to teach in the synagogues. Notice it's plural. They're in the synagogues at Salamis. 
by verse 6, we'll read it next week, they're going to travel all the way over here to Paphos. They're going to go the whole length of the island of Cyprus to Paphos. So three cities, Seleucia, Salamis, Paphos. And you can study that. You're going to hear nothing. You're going to hear they preached the word, they shared the gospel, no doubt. They told people about Jesus, but we have not one convert to Christianity. We've got no one who repents, no one who receives the word, no one who, who, who becomes part of a great revival that takes place here. There's nothing. Three cities, not any impact seemingly. And we're thinking about it, well, well, how would we feel about that? If we're these missionaries, we're fired up, the Spirit of God has spoke, we're going on our way, three cities, nothing. How many people would feel, I guess we're 0 for 3. And would you feel that way, right? We live in such a performance-based culture. And sometimes that performance-based culture can lead to a performance-based Christianity, which is not what God wants at all. But how many of us, we'd feel the way, I over three, I'm, I'm preaching the word, nothing's happening. Should Barnabas and Saul feel that way? Think about this. Were they faithful to the call and went? Yes. Have they been filled with the Holy Spirit and they're preaching and being witnesses? Yes. Have they been obedient? Yes. So are they O for three or are they three for three? Right, I would say they're three for three. They're doing exactly what God has called them to do, which brings a very important point for us when it comes to mission, both locally and abroad. The results belong to God. Right? Don't let a performance-based culture discourage you looking for a number for some performance. Ask one question. Was I faithful to what Jesus called me to do? That's it. And if you answer yes, then God is well pleased with you. If we're faithful, if we're obedient to do what he's called us to do, the results belong to him. Don't tack some expectation on there thinking something has to happen lest you be discouraged. It's the way the enemy wants to come and they've been faithful. They are sowing seed. They're doing what God has called them to do. They've been faithful. They're taking advantage of the open synagogue. Uh, That's the same kind of pattern we would see Jesus do. They go to these synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, and and sometimes there'd be an open synagogue where they'd say, is anyone here a traveling itinerant preacher? Is there any rabbis here? Anyone have a word to share with us? And we know, right, here, here in a synagogue in Salamis, we've got Barnabas, who is a Levite of the priestly tribe of Israel, sitting there thinking, well, that guy probably has something to share with us. And then they got Paul, who is a former Pharisee, a rabbi, who sat under the feet of Gamaliel. They say, anyone have anything to share? Can you imagine Paul's legs shaking? I can't wait to share and popping up there and bringing the heat. Yes. And we'll see. We're not told what he shares here, but we'll see his first sermon later in this chapter. And it's going to be raw, and it's going to be powerful, and Christ-centered. I think they shared. But we're just saying we don't see any harvest. We don't see anything happen. But we're going to see some fruit, and we need to trust that the results belong to the Lord. We don't want to let that kind of attitude start to seep in our heart. I promise you, it will lead to discouragement. And I just want, maybe that washes over. You've been praying for that family member. You've been praying for those neighbors. You've been sharing. You've been ministering them. And nothing's happening. You're thinking, what's going on? Am I a failure? No, you're not a failure. Continue to be faithful. Don't grow weary in doing good. Paul's going to write that to us in Galatians 6. He says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We know because the word of God tells us that it does not return void, but it will accomplish the very purpose it was sent forth to accomplish. Maybe that's conviction in the heart. 
Maybe that's correction in some capacity. Maybe that's going to lead that person to go to somebody else, some other Christian in their life, and they're going to be a part of that point. But the bottom line is, don't grow weary while doing good. Don't lose heart. Don't miss out on what God is beginning to do. I love this idea. We have need for stick withedness. Right? That's what we need. We need to stick with it. What happens, we get discouraged. Paul and Barnabas need to stick with it. By the time we get to next week, by the time we get to the rest of the chapter, and please read ahead, you're going to see some awesome fruit is going to come. Because they don't grow weary. They stick with it. And I know for me, in my own heart, in the ministries that God has allowed me to be a part of, and maybe it's true for you, what happens is we overestimate what can be done in the short term. Right, we do that. We're like, so I'm gonna just, I'm gonna have this short-term intensity. I'm gonna burst here. I'm gonna do a bunch of stuff, and man, it's awesome stuff's gonna happen. And that short-term window that we set, it, it doesn't happen the way we thought it was gonna happen because we overestimated what can be done in the short term. And then sometimes we get discouraged, we grow weary, and we quit. And what we're doing is we're underestimating what can be done over the long term. That long-term consistency is better than short-term intensity. That's the way God works. It takes time to sow seed. It takes time to cultivate soil. It takes time to water and wait. But the Lord of the harvest is able to make the seed grow, and it does. So don't grow weary. Don't overestimate what can be done over the short term while we underestimate what just needs a little bit more time to grow, to foster. That's what Paul's telling us. Have stick with itness, friends. Stick with it in marriages, in relationships, with your kids, with friends, with family members, with non-believers, with not yet believers, with co-workers. Stick with it. Continue to be a lie. Continue to sow seed. Continue to share the word. Continue to give the reason for the hope that you have. Don't get discouraged. But the last thing we want to point out in this kind of smorgasbord of a message is this last little tidbit we see in verse 5. It says, They also had John as their assistant. And to me, this, this little verse just kind of pops out of the blue. We're, we're like, what do you mean? John? Why do they have John? Who invited this guy? Does anyone remember the five leaders in the church in Antioch praying and fasting and hearing from the Lord? Does anyone remember the, the Lord through his Holy Spirit saying, separate to me Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark? Does, does anyone remember that? No, because it didn't happen. So we say, what's John Mark doing here? And the question or the answer is, we don't know. We don't know why John Mark is here. Maybe it's because Barnabas wanted him there. They're cousins. Barnabas is going to be his advocate later, and he wants him to be a part of this ministry. Maybe it's because he just wanted to go. John Mark's going to come up from Jerusalem with them when they take the aid to Jerusalem. So maybe he says, hey, let me go on the mission trip too. We don't know, though. We really don't know why he's here. But what we're going to see is John Mark starts out with them on mission, and by verse 13, he is not going to stay with them. He's going to abandon them on the mission. Paul is going to feel abandoned by John Mark. And it's going to be so much that it's going to cause a rift between Barnabas and Saul. These two spirit-led men who are brought together by the Lord on mission. This is the only mission trip they get to take together. And yeah, God's going to use it, and he's going to have two different mission teams. But the bottom line is, this decision, allowing John Mark to go, is going to split these two men up. They're going to end up going their own way because of John Mark kind of getting in the middle. 
And we say, well, what happened here? And, and there's been a lot of debate. Was he homesick? Was he frustrated because Saul's going to start taking the more prominent role over his cousin Barnabas? Was he struggling and witnessing to the Gentiles? Did he just flame out on mission? And the answer is, we do not know. We don't know what happened there. Maybe a combination of some of those, maybe none of those, but we don't know. But it's going to cause some discord between Barnabas and Saul. It dispute so much that it will separate them. But church, I think it's just as simple as this. I think that John Mark wasn't supposed to be a part of this team. I think that John Mark just wasn't supposed to go on this mission. I think this is men's wisdom trying to come and help out the Lord. And I bring this up as a contrast because we've, we've talked about this. We want to be on mission. We want to hear from the Lord, right? And we want to posture ourselves in such a way where we're actively seeking Him, being proactively reactive if that's a possible thing to do, right? We're fasting and serving. We're fasting and we're praying. We're waiting on the Lord, knowing what we're supposed to do and doing those things. But this is the difference. We're not filling in the blanks. We're not trying to put things in motion that we think are going to fit. And I think John Mark is a picture of that. He's a picture of us thinking, maybe we can help God out. Maybe God just doesn't know what he's doing. He, he's, not able to, he's not able to help me on this mission trip, although he's able to hold all things together by the power of his word. Maybe he needs my help with this tiny little thing, and I'm going to take actions in my own hand. I think that's what John Mark is. Or I think it's that saying that we say sometimes in our vernacular, it's putting the cart before the horse. Take a look at this picture. Tell me what's wrong with this picture. I mean, the answer is everything's wrong with this picture, isn't it? I mean, it is altered, so, you know, it's not a real picture. But look, I like this part. Look at how he's like grabbing the reins. He's like, come on. Like the horse is going to be able to push him on the cart. But it doesn't ever happen this way. It's impractical. It's impossible. But I want us to think about that. How many times do we do this with God? We're like, God, come with me. I want to go here, God. Come. Can you imagine pulling the reins of God saying, come on, God. I think that's pretty indicative of what we do sometimes, isn't it? We say, God, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. John Mark's coming with me. I didn't, I didn't call you to yoke yourself with John Mark. I didn't, call you, I didn't call you to do it that way. I said, go with Barnabas. Separate you and Barnabas. That's the work. This is the way. It's the obedience to the word. It's the faithfulness to the word, not adding to it. And this can lead to disaster. This does lead to disaster. And we have so many different sayings like this in our vernacular. Don't put the cart before the horse. Don't, don't jump the gun. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't run before you can walk. Don't get ahead of yourself. Why do we have so many sayings like this in our vernacular? Because we do it way too much. And when it comes to us as Christians, us here wanting to be on mission, wanting to be faithful, wanting to let the Lord lead in our lives, we don't want to get things out of order. We just slow some things down and let the Lord be first when it comes to ministry, our families, our jobs, our houses, where we're going to go, where we're going to live, foreign mission. As we see it launching for the very first time in the book of Acts, they, other than this John Mark situation, they're trying not to get in front of the Lord. You're trying to wait on the Lord. Lord, you lead, you guide, you direct. Think about Jesus. How many times he says, I want you to follow me, not I want you to lead me. Jesus doesn't need to be led. He needs to be followed. And again, I'm pointing, this is absolutely for me as well. But I want to get behind him and say, Lord, you put the bit in my mouth. You, you hold the reins because I want to go where you lead. 
I want you to direct my heart and life. But that's what I think is happening. It gets a little out of order here with John Mark. And listen, it's not that God doesn't have a plan for John Mark. It's not like John Mark is not going to be used powerfully. This is the John Mark who's going to write in, in responses as he's having Peter dictate some of this. He's going to record the gospel of Mark. It's going to be his name. He's going to be part of the church. God has a great plan for him, right? He's a gospel writer that bears his name. But it wasn't to be a part of this. And I think sometimes we've got to just watch that and know the difference. Obey the voice of the Lord. Seek His will. His will to be done, not our will. Walk in obedience and submission. Have the stick-withedness with the things that He's called us to do. Let's acknowledge this pattern. We want to know the will of God. We want to follow the will of God. We want to hear from Him. So posture yourself in the ready position. I love that pattern. I encourage you to do that. Start praying. Start serving somewhere. Ask the Lord if he wants you to add some fasting in there on occasion. Get some other people praying with you and have the Lord bring revelation to what he has for you. But ask until you receive. Seek until you find. Knock until the door is open to you. Put yourself in that ready position and do not grow weary. God has a word for you, Christian. God has a word just for you. Maybe he's spoken something now. Maybe he's just started to appeal to your heart and it's going to be some some pursuit later. But make it your aim to know him and hear from him and abide in him all the days of your life. God's got a plan. We've got a great closing song that really speaks of how awesome our king is. But I want to invite the worship team up, but I just want to pray over all of you. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the honor of serving you in this church. God, thank you for the honor of of being in the company of all these precious people. God, thank you for the honor and the privilege of knowing you and being able to come to you and say, God, I need you. I need to hear from you. I need direction. I need wisdom. I need clarity. God, I love that you don't leave us orphans. You don't leave us abandoned. You don't leave us at all, God. And Father, I know that there's probably a heart or two that really, really needs to hear from you, God. That really just needs to feel your touch. That really needs to be reminded of the ancient, unchangeable truth of your amazing grace and your unending love. And I pray that you would just do that. Please, God, reach your righteous right hand right out of heaven and just rest it upon these precious people and minister to our hearts. Settle these things in the Spirit like only you can. Draw us closer to you with your cords of kindness. Meet us in this place as we close out in worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.